When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plant, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to the Hemp Present Resistance, the weekly radio podcast where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat the alternative facts of prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I'm the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, and it's 26th year found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. Today's guest on Hemp Present is author, activist, and former Seattle police chief Norm Stamper, who will be joining me momentarily. The subject of policing in America is a very sensitive, polarizing issue because people's lives are on the line on all sides of the equation, and great cultural and social divisions have developed across America. At Seattle Hemp Fest, we have potentially counterintuitively made tremendous progress in creating relationships with law enforcement generally based upon trust, honesty, and goodwill. So I know that it is possible. Yet we Americans have become so divided upon racial, economic, social, and political lines. And one area where we're paying a steep price for these divisions is in the relationships between law enforcement and members of our communities, particularly communities of color. Something's broken. Today, by the time the sun goes down, almost 100 Americans will have lost their lives from a gunshot wound, as American gun deaths are 25 times higher than similar developed nations. This month alone, 
Around 50 American women will be killed by their spouses by gun violence. And this year, almost 400 Americans will be killed by the police. And we can anticipate that almost every one of these civilian deaths will be ruled as justifiable. In the evening, many of us sit on a couch and relax with an unlimited assault of crime shows, cop shows, and forensic programs. America seems to have an exaggerated, unhealthy obsession with law and order, with crime and murder. And we appear to have a complex and dysfunctional love-hate relationship with the law enforcement institutions that exert so much control over our lives and that we hold so much fascination with. Most of us will already have an opinion on the next civilian cop shooting before we hear any facts about the case because our minds have mostly been made up on the issue. That's just wrong. How have we allowed a deeply entrenched specter of crime and violence to embed itself in our society? Is life in America anywhere as dangerous as our media continually suggest it is? Do we really need to have all of these guns that people of other countries manage to do just fine without? And are we really safer because we have police forces that have been militarized? My guest today is somewhat of an expert on this subject. Norm Stamper is a former chief of the Seattle Police Department. He's the author of many articles and op-eds and publications such as the New York Times, the New Yorker, Seattle Post Intelligencer, among others. Norm Stamper has appeared on numerous television and radio programs as diverse as the Colbert Report and the O'Reilly Factor. Stamper has called for the legalization of all drugs and the case-by-case release of persons incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses. Stamper serves as an advisory board member for LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, as well as the National Organization for the Reform Marijuana Laws. He's the author of books entitled Breaking Rank, a Top Cops Expose of the Dark Side of American Policing, and To Protect and Serve, How to Fix America's Police. And he's joining me today. Welcome, Norm, to him present on Cannabis Radio. Thank you very much, Vivian. It's good to be with you. You eviscerate a lot of myths with your books about law enforcement, and in 30 minutes, we'll only be able to barely scratch the surface of the inherently complex issue of policing in America. But let's dive in and do our best. You were a police officer for many years, sworn to enforce the law. Now you represent the organization Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which I think may have recently undergone a name change to Law Enforcement Action Partnership. Were you critical of prohibition while you were a police officer, or was there a conversation, a conversion that took place someplace along the way? Uh, I've been critical of prohibition, which is the organizing principle of American drug policy, uh, for decades now. Uh, and it's safe to say that, that my outspokenness on the topic, if I can use that term, really began to gel back in the early 90s in San Diego. I was a cop in that city for 28 years uh, before I came to Seattle. And I was beginning to see uh, just how uh, absurd and harmful uh, are U.S. drug policies. You've called American policing a paramilitary bureaucracy, and you've said that no change will happen unless, even as we cull bad apples from our police forces, we recognize that the barrel itself is rotten. Those are powerful words. What did you mean by them? What I meant by that was that from its inception, American policing has been organized in a paramilitary bureaucratic fashion. And if if someone can come up with a worse system for organizing uh, a policing in a free and democratic society, uh, I would be shocked. Uh, it is set up to fail, and, in fa- and fail it has miserably now for decades, if not centuries. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a system that is top-down, 
that is uh, very much reliant on what's affectionately termed command and control within the organization. Ultimately, it uh, oftentimes uh, uh, has a tendency to treat frontline police officers like dependent or delinquent children, uh, even as their bosses are demanding that they act as mature and, and respected adults. So when, when you've got a system problem as deeply rooted as the American paramilitary bureaucratic, uh, bureaucratic system, then I think it becomes incumbent upon us to do the really hard work of reorganizing America's police. Do you think we expect too much or too little out of our rank-and-file police officers? The level of responsibility is enormous, and more cops die of suicide than are killed by gunfire and traffic accidents combined. Uh, you know, the, for me, the answer to that question is yes, we expect too much, and yes, we expect too little. And uh, I'm not trying to be cute with my language here. What I'm suggesting is that if we look at the nature of the work itself, it's, it is hard to imagine a more demanding, more delicate, uh, and oftentimes more dangerous job in our society. Uh, and yet we expect so little out of our selection process. Um, we do very little in, in the way uh, uh, comprehensively across the country now. Not, there are certainly exceptions and important exceptions uh, in various specific jurisdictions. But, but when you consider that we have 18,000 law enforcement agencies and we have uh, police departments uh, in some jurisdictions firing individuals for misconduct only to see them hired in some cases, just a few miles away by another jurisdiction, that begins to suggest, uh, it, it certainly hints at one of the biggest problems, and that is a lack of national standards. And I think it's in this area specifically that we expect too little of our municipal and county and state law enforcement agencies. Over and over, we see unarmed black men be the victim of a police Street execution really is what I think some people characterize them as, and we have the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, in response. Are, are today's rules of engagement and lethal force policies appropriate? What's going on that this should be happening? And how, do I, how do we find our way out of this? Uh, it, it, needless to say, it is a complex issue. You have police officers uh, who, who read about or see of officers who are ambushed. Uh, shot and killed, for example, from, from a distance or up close. Uh, we see police officers who are, in my judgment, uh, oftentimes afraid of black men, young black men. And, and uh, I've suggested that the darker the black man, the bigger the black man, uh, the greater the potential fear on the part of white police officers who have not been helped to understand the value of diversity to understand the value of developing genuine uh, partnerships with the communities they serve. So, so in a lot of ways, you know, it's really about relationships and, and, and in a lot of ways it's about familiarity and, and, uh, and feeling comfortable uh, with, with people from different walks of life, different cultures, different, different neighborhoods. H how can we bridge these tremendous divides that just seem to be eating away at our society? Well, you know, there are several, I think, very important steps that we can and we must take. 
I've alluded to one already, and that is to set standards for performance and conduct that are binding on every police officer in the country. As difficult as this job is, there's not a single uh, national standard, for example, uh, on stop and frisk, on rules of evidence, on laws of arrest. We have uh, police officers in one jurisdiction doing things very, very differently from officers in another. So I think we need to set those standards. And when it comes to treatment of our fellow human beings, we need to be explicit. I'm not talking about cosmetic uh, or, or, or uh, public relations versions of uh, uh, community police improvement. I'm talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, engaging in the hard work that's necessary to set reasonable job-related and defensible standards. So let's start there. But we also need to put the community back into community policing. Uh, over the decades, we've seen an increase in militarization, uh, much of it driven by the drug war. I mean, if you think about that terminology itself, we have pit uh, our, our, our police officers, our, our frontline uh, municipal uh, uh, domestic peacekeepers uh, against their own people. Uh, and those who suffer disproportionately from enforcement action are the young uh, people of color and poor people. And so dealing with that population that historically has been most oppressed, most neglected, most abused by local law enforcement, uh, 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 against that very population in the name of the drug war has produced terrible, terrible, uh, you know, a terrible rupture in the relationship. So I'm uh, absolutely convinced that we need to have citizens participating in all police operations. I'm talking about recruitment, selection, training, uh, the hiring decision itself uh, should be a joint responsibility of community and police. Uh, citizens should be uh, sitting shoulder to shoulder with uh, police commanders on review of force, especially uh, any allegation of excessive force and most obviously lethal force so that we begin to normalize this notion that citizens are the police and the police are the citizens. Right now, that, that dichotomy, that, that, uh, that division between those who uh, enforce the laws and, and those who are the recipients of that enforcement action uh, is, is, has never been deeper, never been wider. I'm speaking with Norm Stamper, author of To Protect and Serve, How to Fix America's Police. We're going to take our first pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws. Hear a word from our sponsors, advertisers. Come right back with our next segment with Norm Stamper. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. 
Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we're back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Norm Stamper. Norm, I believe that prohibition has greatly undermined a general respect for the rule of law among a significant cross-section of the American public, generationally so, and it's been costly and damaging for society. Today, our police departments have tanks and flash bombs and machine guns. How much of a role has drug prohibition played in the militarization of our community police forces, and can we ever put that genie back in the bottle? I think if you if you consider, as we were uh, discussing earlier, if you consider the vocabulary of war, the weaponry of war, the equipment of, of war, uh, tactics oftentimes of war, and, uh, and, and compare uh, how policing used to be done before prohibition uh, 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 took its stranglehold on the public's imagination, uh, you would see that, that the police were much friendlier, the police were known to the communities they served, uh, and they were certainly not seen as soldiers. Uh, and so I think it's vital that we recognize the historical lesson that prohibition teaches us. It never worked uh, uh, by prohibiting alcohol. Indeed, what it did was give rise to greater and greater, greater uh, levels of violence. So when Richard Nixon uh, famously proclaimed uh, drug abuse public enemy number one and declared all-out war on them, he was really declaring war on his own people. And you don't fight a war without an enemy. You don't fight a war without uh, uh, propaganda. You don't fight a war without weaponry. And what we've seen is an escalation along all of those fronts uh, since the 1970s. We saw a big spike after 9-11, almost to be expected. But the mindlessness with which we, we subscribe to prohibition as our cornerstone of U.S. drug policy is, uh, in some cases, literally killing us. So if we want to demilitarize policing, we need to end the drug war, and we need to reacquaint police officers with the basic notion uh, that, that they are a part of and not apart from the communities they serve. Norm, after many decades of, as you just been characterizing, scorched earth, zero tolerance drug policy, in the last several years we finally have been making some tangible progress in terms of sentencing and prison reform and moving away from a criminal justice approach to drug policy in some sense. 
Now we have the Donald Trump administration promising a Reagan-style get-tough-on-crime reversal, Trump himself having publicly praised stop-and-frisk policing, which was ruled unconstitutional. How concerned are you that this administration is going to roll us back into the 90s or worse in terms of drug policy and policing? No, I'm extremely concerned. Uh, Anyone, uh, especially uh, speaking from the Oval Office and using the language that Donald Trump has used uh, in the name of public safety or law and order or crime fighting, uh, all of us as Americans should be really, really concerned about this. We have seen uh, what excessive militarization does to the community-police relationship. Indeed, we've seen what it does to the community and to the minds and hearts of police officers as it converts them from peacekeepers to soldiers. So I I think uh, this is a time for the entire uh, population of this country to be hyper-vigilant, to keep an eye and an ear uh, onto what is coming out of Washington, D.C. in this administration in the name of, of crime fighting. I mean, I'm I'm a little concerned that we're going to have that 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 Americans are going to have so much to be vigilant on that issues of drug policy are are going to be secondary. There's going to be so much going on. You write that incarceration has replaced treatment. How important are harm reduction models that treat drug use as a public health concern rather than a criminal justice issue? Is our entire approach to drug use wrong? Yes. Our entire approach to drug use is wrong. Uh, it, it, it is wrong principally because of where we've uh, categorized or assigned it in, in our public conversation. We have made uh, drug prevention, uh, drug abuse, we've made everything that's got the word drugs or drug in it a police problem. We've made it a criminal justice issue when in fact, Uh, It appropriately belongs under the rubric uh, and and the supporting mechanisms of a public health system. One of the worst things imaginable in in any society, and certainly one that prides itself on being a free and democratic society, uh, is is to criminalize illness. And that's exactly what we've done with those who are addicted to uh, any drugs or who are experiencing problems and putting them behind bars is not only cruel, it's an extraordinarily expensive and inefficient way to address the problem. So uh, I do believe that the population is out ahead of the government in general on this, on this topic. And that as we have seen from one state to another, with uh, positive prospects in the future, we will see the legalization of marijuana uh, sweep this country. We'll see people questioning whether busting someone for the possession, nonviolent uh, 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 a crime of, of possession of any of these drugs. So I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the, that the people uh, have, have in many cases done their homework as they've explored the various initiatives and occasionally modest legislative agendas as well. Nor my favorite chapter to protect and serve is the one titled Flex Your Rights. Probably not a big shock. 
Um, and in that chapter, you, you talk briefly about how not to respond to a police officer. H- how many civilian lives could be saved, and maybe even police officer lives, just by more people understanding how a police officer has been trained, how they think, and what they expect from us in a police interaction? Uh, untold thousands of lives could be, I'm convinced, would be saved if uh, citizens understood what their rights are, what their responsibilities are, uh, and if they understood on a very practical level what it is that cops do in the interest of protecting their own safety. If you have an understanding of, of, of those uh, tools and techniques and training and tactics uh, that, that officers use to protect themselves and to make it home at the end of a shift, you got a much better chance of not doing something blindly or foolishly. Uh, I think the responsibility ultimately rests with the police uh, to present themselves in ways that de-escalate tension, not escalate it, uh, and that actually have promise for reducing the potential uh, for violence in each and every contact from the most routine traffic stop to uh, much more dramatic uh, incidents that take place in, in our communities. But I think if the citizens understood more about the cops, uh, as well as vice versa, we'd all be much better off. You think that a lot of people being pulled over might not realize that the police officer might be as afraid or more afraid of them than they are of the police? I think a lot of people think of the police as automatons, in part because, um, I hate to say this, too many of them act machine-like uh, and, and, and less than human when they approach their fellow human beings. But I think you're, I think you're really onto something when, uh, when you're suggesting that police, a police officer, for example, at 3 o'clock in the morning is making a, a traffic stop. He or she does not know who's behind the wheel of the car. Uh, He or she may not realize that this person has said, that's it. The next time a cop stops me, I'm going to blow him away. But they know that that could happen. They know that the prospects of sudden violent death uh, represent an occupational hazard for police officers. So it's entirely possible that a police officer is more frightened than a motorist uh, who may be scared to death of those red and blue lights in the mirror. So, you know, you might be saying hey, he was just going for his wallet, but from a police officer's point of perspective, the officer might be about to lose his life. I and mean, if people had more of a, a direct connection between what they are doing, their moves, their, their body language, and that police officer's fears, then maybe they can anticipate what's going to happen uh, better next. I am speaking to Norm Stamper, author of Protect and Serve and Breaking Rank. We're going to take our last uh, break, come back with our final questions. Don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. 
Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio for our final questions with Norm Stamper. Norm, this is such a deep and such a critical issue for all of us in our society and our communities. How can the average person help uh, with all of this, number one? And the second part of my question, is there anything exciting you're working on today you want to tell us about before we say goodbye? Well, for part one, I, w- I would say that citizens can help most uh, by getting themselves informed and involved uh, and appreciating everything that's going on in today's world. Uh, I, I realize how uh, unrealistic it may be for a citizen to spend yet another hour or day or week or month involved in police reform. But I think participating with their local police uh, in, in carving out policies and managing crises and setting priorities is just vital to creating a true communities, uh, a, a true people's police. And the community uh, should be in the driver's seat on that as far as I'm concerned. So I, I would say there's that. There's also just the business of making oneself informed about police policies and procedures and training uh, uh, uh the training techniques and tactics that officers use, which will just help all around. Uh, and as far as projects are concerned, uh, I'm moving myself from uh, nonfiction writing. Of course, my critics will tell you everything I've written so far is fiction, but I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> moving in, in the direction of writing novels. And I have finished one. I'm at work on another right now. Uh, they will certainly uh, uh, carry a strong social and political perspective because that's just me, but they're novels and I'm thoroughly enjoying the, the creative process. Well, if anybody asks me, I think the best way for folks to stay informed would be to read your books and go to normstamper.com. Uh, Norm, thank you so much for being on here present on cannabis radio. You're just such a big hero of mine. May you be well and the best luck to you on all of your endeavors. Well, and let me also say to you, Vivian, how much I truly appreciated your efforts working with the Seattle Police Department for years and years and productively making big differences. <laughs> well, that, uh, that I will certainly wear that as a badge of honor, sir. Thank you. All right. Take care. And now I'm going to get to a weekly feature present on Cannabis Radio. That's the quote of the week, and here it is. There are not enough jails, not enough police, 
not enough courts to enforce a law not supported by the people. And that was Vice President of the United States, Hubert H. Humphrey. That concludes this installment of Hemperson on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hempo sapien on a journey to justice because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, and toke it easy, and don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. The Hemsent theme song, Take Back the Plants, performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger version of myself. Turn up the music, maestro. I'm out. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.